So, um, special weekend for us as we think about 20 years. It's incredible. I remember where I was 20 years ago on September 11th. And um, uh, never dreamt I'd have to explain to my kids um, what 9-11 was. And the other day I had to explain to my kids what 9-11 was. And it was just a reminder that took me right back. And there's another moment in our history that I think is one of those moments like where were you moments when. Um, just more recently, actually, um, I want to take you back to simpler time in our world, uh, March 2020. Was that not simpler for you? I want to take you back to the moment that you got sent home from work, that you were told that you needed a shelter in place. Uh, you were told that um, only one group of people were able to go to work in the building. That group of people, do you, do you remember the phrase we gave them, that group of people were called? Essential workers. How many here, just by show of hand, you were considered an essential worker and you didn't get to work from home? Anybody? Can we just say thank you to them for a moment? <laughs> Appreciate you guys. Uh, I know it was a season of life that you kind of wish, like, maybe I wasn't so essential because this is crazy. Uh, <clears throat> as pastors, we were not technically considered essential. I think God would beg to differ. Come on, somebody. And so there were some people who were like stuck at home trying to help people. You know, the, the non-essential people trying to go work. And there were some essential people that were like, man, I'd give anything to work from home right now. I don't know where you were in this journey or what was happening for you in March 2020, but um, those were definitely interesting times that stand out in our memories. And um, I, I want to just say this. I think one of the parts of 2020 that we should never forget, you know, all of these crises have moments in our, our hearts that we say never forget. And for, for us as a body of people, a, a group of Christians, Jesus followers, uh, I think one of the things that March 2020 gave us that we should never forget is the fact that um, essential workers joined our vocabulary. There's this beautiful phrase that, uh, a partnership between this phrase of, of how Jesus designed his church to work. If we understand this design, we'll see a pathway for us to practice the Jesus first life. It's a, there's a pathway that's as old as time, blazed by God to us so that we could walk back to him in it. It's a pathway that'll actually help you if you take steps down this path. It'll actually help you know Jesus better. This is a guaranteed sort of tried and true way for us to grow in our relationship with Jesus. And, and here's the path for today. The path is simply this. It's really, really basic. It's really old. It's a path of serving others. That's what we're going to talk about today. Serving others is a way for us to know Jesus. This is one of the most tangible, I think, feel-good paths that we have towards a deeper walk towards God. About a decade ago, a really large church outside of Chicago did some incredible research on their people to figure out who was actually growing towards Jesus and what we at Heartland call the Jesus first life. And they did some research and they, they found out that there were four characteristics or attitudes or things that people did to help them take a step towards Jesus. And, and here's what they, the four things were that they found. The first, you're already all doing, uh, attending some sort of religious ceremony, worship service, prayer service once a week. The second thing was that, that, that these people spent time daily in prayer or meditation or God's word. The third thing was that they were connected with a mentor. And then the fourth thing that they did, all the people who were taking steps towards this Jesus first life, the fourth thing that marked all of them was that they spent their time serving other people. That's kind of what this church found out for us. And, and I, I think um, this makes sense because the Jesus first life says to other people, Simply this phrase, 
No, after you. That's the phrase that we could put over the Jesus first life. It's just a phrase that looks at other people and says, no, 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 not me first, but after you, after you. In, in God's world, after you, it, it really makes Jesus first. If you learn to say to others and perceive others' needs first, you will find that you put Jesus first. If I reorder all those words and say it a different way, if you put Jesus first in your life, you will find yourself inherently, naturally looking at other people and saying, no, 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 not what I want first, but what you want first. The Jesus first person says, after you, all the time. There are uh, actually two parts of the New Testament that I want us to, to jump into today. If you've got your Bibles or if you've got a phone or a device, you could just find your way to what, what's called 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. And that's just a, a letter written by Paul that, that shares a little bit about what this path looks like. And the second passage, I'm going to bring us to some words of Jesus in a moment. But I want us to think today together about what it looks like for you to take steps towards Jesus by serving others. Why is this even a path to begin with? There's two parts of the New Testament that show us this. I want to show you the essential work that's right here from the Bible to us. Um, so 1 Corinthians 12. You guys got it in front of you? Say, I got it if you got it. All right. Uh, here's what you need to know about Corinth. Corinth was a town very similar to Kansas City. It was at the crossroads of the ancient world. Many goods and services and people would travel through Corinth, through Greece, on their way to the different corners of the Roman Empire. It was a center for trade and commerce and ideas and money would all flow through Corinth was a pretty wealthy society. It's recorded in history that on Sundays, the football team in Corinth would beat up the Cleveland Browns every single Sunday. So a lot, a lot, a lot like here. That's what I'm saying. Um, there were Christians in Corinth. There were people who were taught the way of Jesus by Paul himself. He, he came and he established them and he taught them about this. And then Paul left and after he left, the Corinthian church kind of got all messed up. Not unlike us either. There were people in the church that made minor things, major things, and major things, minor things. And they kind of got this whole thing out of order. And they were kind of bragging about some of the bad things they were doing. And, and Paul had to write them a letter. He actually wrote them a couple letters. We have two of them in the Bible. And this, 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 this letter to the Corinthians simply reaches a crescendo at the, at the end of this. Three chapters about how the Jesus first life is lived serving other people. And to make this point, Paul talks about an image, a picture, like some metaphor. He talks about all of us, the church, being like a human body. So if you join me here in uh, verse 12, here's what Paul says. He says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, hands, feet, ears, eyes, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, so it is with the church. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles or slave or free. That's kind of like the baptism that's coming up next week for some people to say, I I'm, I'm on Jesus' team. We were all given the same spirit to drink. That's kind of like what we just did in communion, right? Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, this is a massive idea that has actually huge ramifications for our 21st century. A lot of our society is actually built upon this idea. Hundreds of years ago, people took this idea and they said, could colonies become united to become states? Out of one, could there become many? That's actually, you guys remember money, dollars and coins and stuff? Remember that stuff? On, on our money here as Americans, we would actually print this Latin phrase, e pluribus unum. I never knew what it meant until I became a pastor. It means out of many, one. 
This is a thoroughly Christian idea that God has created many diverse parts to come together and work together to form one body. So you, you and I, we kind of understand this already. And Paul tells the Jesus followers, those who have faith in Jesus, that, that, that through the baptism of the Spirit, they were joined in the body, the church body. Just like your body is made up of eyes whose job it is to see. I got my vision checked the other day by a heartlander. That was awesome because he introduced himself to me and I was blind. And then he put me through the things and he helped me see. It was incredible. Just like your body is made up of eyes whose job it is to see, ears whose job it is to hear, feet whose job it is to balance and walk on, you know, things. So it is with Jesus followers when they work together to serve the world. Each of these parts are different. And in that difference is actually their desire that different things would come together to form one whole thing. Uh, Then, what Paul says, I'm not going to read it to you, but here's what he says. I'll summarize it. He says, if the whole body was an eye, you'd be missing a lot of life, like hearing and smelling. If a whole body uh, was was this, um, you'd be missing this. That's how it shows up in my Bible. And if the whole body was this, that's an ear, you would be missing this. That's a nose. Any children of the 90s can't stop looking at that and seeing the double dare Nickelodeon nose. All right, we're going to take that down because you'll be obsessed with that. <clears throat> here's, what, here's what he says in verse 20. He says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, here's the question, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. And and Harlan, here's what we got to see. This is by God's design. God placed the parts in the body, every one of them. And notice that God didn't accidentally give you a pinky toe or an appendix. He strategically gave you these things so that you could be a whole person. God creates what he wants to create. And what God creates, he does so, giving them responsibilities. God wanted his people not just to look all alike as cookie-cutter people with cookie-cutter passions and cookie-cutter gifts and cookie-cutter skills. No, he created us to have different functions in this world so that together his church would represent wholeness. So here, here's the thing. A thriving, vibrant, healthy heartland is one place in which we recognize not everyone has the same job, but rather this. Here's the big idea. We're all essential workers. This is what Paul is pushing us towards. That actually in a church, you and I all matter to God and matter to each other the same. We all need each other, which means you need me and I need you and I need to need you. And you need to need me the way you need to need others. Um, Okay, so I've been living in Kansas City now for only a couple of months. And one thing I've observed... um, let me just confess something to you really quickly because some of you confessed this to me too, but on Sundays when I don't preach, I actually go visit other churches. I church hop. What? You do the same thing too, so why can't I do it, okay? So I've been going and checking out different churches and getting to know pastors and building some great relationships with other people who are doing amazing work for Jesus here, right, right here in, in Overland Park and Lenexa and, and Olathe. And as I've looked at Heartland and I've looked at what the churches around this area are doing, I actually got a little worried one day when I left one church and thought about just how good everything looked and how professional everything sounded and how 
you know, slick everything was. And I could sneak in and I could sneak out. And there was someone who was a really good communicator. Like if we had a scale, it would be like on the scale of like caveman to Dan Jacobson to like, you know, the best orator in the world. That person was like really over here. And I was like, wow, they're really good at that. And I walked, I walked out of some of these churches, and I fear the same thing happens here at Heartland, too. I walked out of some of these churches, and I, I said to myself, wow, that church has got it going on. They don't need anything. They don't need anyone. And one of the biggest problems with the way that we do church here in Kansas City and in America is actually, I think, what I would call the professionalization of church. The fact that we all walk in faithful to one Savior, dependent upon one King whose name is Jesus, and we come and we, a lot of us expect to get our thing from the guy on stage. And so it's really nice that, you know, our pastor brought in a guy from Indianapolis and he was able to lead us in some powerful singing today. And it's really nice that my pastor can be the professional pastor who opens up the Bible and tells me everything I need to know. And my fear is this, is that you could walk in and out of Heartland and not feel like you are needed. You might just watch it all happen and think, wow, that church has got it going on. Wow, that church is slick. Wow, that church doesn't need me. What a hard thing it is for us to break the heart of God with our excellence. We believe here at Heartland that excellence honors God and values people, and so we want to do things excellently. But here's what I want to say to you. My hope for our church, my hope for you and for me, as we take steps together into the unknown future, that we would see this beautiful thing happen where we kind of leave professionalism behind and shoot towards personalism. We're not going to be the most professional church out there, Heartland. We are going to be the most personal church out there. Because in the body of Christ, everyone is an essential worker. What I want you to hear from Paul and what I want you to hear from me is that it doesn't matter if the way that you serve in these moments here within the walls of Harland, if you never get on a stage, I want you to hear that you are central stage in God's design for you to show the world Jesus. And if you do that, you yourself will actually see and know Jesus better than you could ever imagine, better than if you just walked in, sat down, and listened to me. We are all essential workers. Not only are we all essential, Paul actually is going to double down on this idea. Keep, keep going with me. You guys still with me? You a little bit interested in what I'm saying? Okay, because it gets better. It gets even more crazy. This, this, if we let this, this will wreck our church. Listen to this. Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. But God has put together the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So that if the whole one part suffers, the whole suffers. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Then he says this, he bottom lines it for us. He says, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Since we're all essential, Paul says that no one can say to the other, you're not needed here. And Paul says, because 
the, the, the less desirable parts of the body, you know, your tonsils. What do your tonsils actually do? You can just cut them out. He says, no, no, the weaker parts in God's economy, we actually esteem and give greater value and dignity and worth right here. Which means this, since we're all essential, we are also all worthy. You and I, because of Jesus, are worthy. Worthy for what? We are worthy to serve others in the name of Jesus. You know, some parts of the body seem inherently worthy, like the brain or the heart. Some we feel like we can just cut off and do without. But in the body of the church, in Jesus' first lives, in the Jesus' first community, we don't amputate parts that we don't like, that don't seem to fit. We actually elevate them to positions of honor. Those parts in the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, which means that no one's role is too small in the body of Christ to be used by God to make a difference in the world. We are all essential. We are all worthy. Why this is true and why this is important is actually distilled best by a pastor from New York City named Tim Keller who, who said it this way. He said, there are some needs only you can see. There are some hands only you can hold. There are some people only you can reach. We are all essential and all worthy because God has placed you in the world to see different things, to in that seeing of different things, get a better sense of the needs in, in the community, the pains and the hurt. Not only do we need people who can just, you know, explain the Bible to us for, you know, 30 minutes a week, but we need people in this world who can take the explanations and apply them to our hearts in counseling. We need people who can take these principles and put them to work in the business place to coach us through our jobs, to help us build stronger communities. We need people who can walk alongside our first responders and show them the compassion and the care and the justice of God. We, we need people who, who can be in the classroom and to reach out to those who have it hard at home, to be able to apply the love of God where everyone is. We need people who understand the marketplace and can put Jesus first in business. These are hugely worthy and honorable endeavors, and, and here's what I hope that you're starting to get the picture of. Most of these activities don't happen within the walls of the church. They happen in your life. <laughs> yeah. There are certainly many ways that you could do these things within the walls, these four giant walls of Heartland. But we also need to serve one another outside these walls. And for the hundreds of people who, 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 who come to Heartland here on a weekend and don't primarily serve by standing on a stage, I want you to know that no gift is too small, that you are needed and you are worthy enough to make a difference here in this community. See, when you do what God has designed you to naturally do, to lean into the passions that he's given you, to lean into your heartbeats, to lean, in, lean into your giftedness, to lean, to lean into the things in this world that you see that cause you angst, that keep you up at night, that you wonder, it's got to be better. How could I make this a better thing? When you lean into those things and God has put that in you, people will actually see Jesus. A couple weeks ago, um, I had a huge semi-truck deliver all the junk that I own in this world to my new house. It was a daunting task. And I want you to know, Heartland, you were the ones that showed up 
to help me unload it. This is a church that is already leading from a position of strength and serving others. There's so much here that I'm kind of preaching to the choir this morning, but I want you to know, in my experience, I, I watched as Carlo and Derek, their kids, and James and Abby, and they all grabbed box after box after box, and they unloaded my truck for me. And I was overwhelmed by the task, but, but there was this moment where Carlo and his son picked up this, like, giant chest of drawers, and they, together, like supermen, heaved it up the stairs, and I thought, only Jesus could do that. And then when, when I was too busy, you know, destroying the house that I had them move everything into, ripping out things so that we could make space to build relationships to make Jesus first, we didn't have time to eat. And it was Heartland who brought food over to us to make it a little easier for us as the new people in town to find a moment to actually settle in. And as I stood on this stage my first Sunday and complained about having nobody to help me put a hardwood floor in, it was Heartland who showed up to help me board by board slap that thing together. And by the way, it's done. Praise God. Here's what I want to say. In each of these moments, whether we were hungry or whether we needed help or whether we needed to move some things, when, when people just showed up and served us, I actually, I told some people, I said, I saw Jesus in you. And this is what happens when we put others' needs before our own, is, is that other people get a chance to see Jesus and you yourself get a chance to see Jesus. And that's Paul. We are all essential. We are all worthy to serve and to show off Jesus. But there's this thing that Jesus says back in Matthew chapter 24 that's kind of low-key bothered me for a long time. Matthew 25 verse 40, um, Jesus is telling his disciples something. It's, it's, it's really ominous thing. He says, at the end of time, I'm going to kind of separate people into those who believed in me and those who didn't. Those, are those who believed in me, here's what's going to happen to them. He's going to say, then the king, this is verse 34, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance for the kingdom has been prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. But the righteous are going to say in that moment, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then this is what he says that's always bothered me. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for who? For me. So for Paul, the emphasis is for us to hear that we are essential and we are worthy. But Jesus says this, just follow this for a second, that essential and worthy people are given opportunities to demonstrate their faith to those who the world doesn't look at as essential or worthy. Did you see it? We're, we are not called to say after you to just those who are deserving of honor. It's actually the role of the faith-filled follower of Jesus to serve those who are hurting. For Paul, it's about us. So, so the question is, are you aware of how you're wired to serve others? Are, are you aware of what skills that you can offer to assist those in need? Like, what do you charge people for that you could give away to free to those who need it? But for Jesus, it's not just about us. 
But for Jesus, it's about them. And who's the them? Well, to, to borrow a phrase from the 80s, it's about the dist. The dist. I grew up in the era where you would throw disses at each other. And this is kind of what it meant. It meant disrespect. Jesus actually wants us to go to them. It's the dishonored. I also think Jesus shows us that he's interested in the dismissed. Those who the world has forgotten about today. They can't get aid and the systems don't work for them. They're the distressed. Those who are hungry and who are thirsty among us. Jesus is concerned about the distant those who are far from home and have nowhere to stay. Jesus is worried about the diseased, the sick, and those in the hospital. But maybe most of all, the lowest of lows in Jesus' day, he was worried about the disorderly and the disqualified. For those who were in prison, who had committed offenses and were serving their time. Those were the people who Christians visited. Jesus wants to bring together a group of people who are diverse in backgrounds, diverse in giftedness, diverse in passions, and he calls them to follow him, and he makes us essential workers who are also worthy of honor, and he sends us to those who are non-essential in the eyes of the world and to those who are unworthy of honor. And this is how this is a pathway to knowing God better. Because it's about us, and it's about them, but it's also all about him. See, whatever you did for them, Jesus says you did for me. And so whenever it is that you and I serve others, we're actually serving Jesus. Let me say it this way. When you and I serve the needs of others, we are serving our own relationship with Jesus. When you and I could actually see others' needs before our own, we're actually taking steps down that path towards Jesus himself. It's, it's incredible. That's why this is a growing pathway towards spiritual growth. When I say to others, after you, I put their needs ahead of my own, I move to give them or make space for them or provide for them to be generous. Whatever you did for the least of these, Jesus says, for the unworthy, you did to me who is the most worthy. I think the world is waiting for the church to be the church. I think wherever it is that the church is not being the church, where we're not seeing the needs of others, the, the world is stepping in to try and take care and solve problems and do things. And here's my tension with this. This might be just a me thing, but I think we all kind of share this together. I think people who are seen of as being unworthy, who are then served by people who don't know the most worthy one, never themselves become worthy. They always remain projects. They always remain in the system. They always remain as less than. See, it's only when unworthy people become worthy in Jesus that they serve everyone around them as if they were just as dignified in Jesus that they became worthy of it all. Here's what I mean. Only someone who has actually been served by Jesus can ser truly serve others in Jesus. Only someone who realizes that even Jesus did not come to be served but to serve can actually go and serve others with no strings attached. Could serve others the way that Jesus served us because he gave his life as a ransom for many. It's like, it's like Jesus was saying all of you were kidnapped by destruction and death. The only one who could pay it all is, is, was me. And so I gave it all for you. That's how much I think you're worth, my love. 
We have been served by Jesus. Those of us who were not worthy for his sacrifice became worthy because of his sacrifice. And now that we're worthy, our job is actually to bring that worth and dignity and value to others in the world. There's a company, a for-profit business. I've never been lucky enough to use this business's services, but they take this biblical principle and maximize it to the nth degree. You might be surprised when I tell you the business I'm talking about is actually the Ritz-Carlton. The Ritz-Carlton understands this idea of bringing worth and value and dignity to those that they serve. Now, you might be thinking, people that go and stay at the Ritz-Carlton don't need worth and dignity and value. They should spread the worth and dignity and value, right? But, but the Ritz-Carlton has codified within their business structure to all the people who serve and, and, and take care of their guests this one main principle. They pounded into their employees' heads that we are not servants serving rich people. We're not lowly people serving high people. The Ritz-Carlton says we are Ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. And that, quite frankly, is the secret to the success of the Ritz-Carlton. To be able to look their guests square in the eyes and to do whatever it is that they can do to make their experience as pleasant as possible. Why? Not because that person is so valuable, because I have it in me to be able to give that person value. Ritz-Carlton stole that idea from Jesus. They said... We have come to bring value and worth to those who we serve. There are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And that has a way of taking everything and ordering it according to the way of Jesus. I wonder, who are the dist in our society who are actually ladies and gentlemen giving worth by God? How does this hit us today in our daily life? I could give you a million different categories, but for just the remaining time that I have, I just want to enter into the foray of current events for a moment. Now, I understand what it's like when a pastor talks about current day modern events, and usually it ends up on social media and the church all walks out the door. So I, I want to ask for a little grace. Can we talk about current events for a moment and not lose our minds? Because I will move on and just call it a day and we'll go watch the Chiefs, but I think this might be important. Can, can I have that permission? Yes. Okay, okay. So like you, I've been watching the same news reading the same articles, watching the same footage that you've watched from what's happened as a result of our country's actions in Afghanistan. For the past couple of weeks, as news has come out and situations have unfolded, I have found in my own heart, this is just Dan Jacobson speaking, this tremendous burden in my heart thinking about what it must be like to be someone over the past 20 years who has grown up in a society where there's been this presence and it's been our presence, who's been trying to figure out this situation and caused so much havoc and then everything changed so quickly. And what really caught me was the pictures of people flooding the airports trying to escape. And where were they trying to go? They were trying to come here. Like they were, they were trying to come to our home because life would be so much better for them here than it would be there. And I did the American thing the first week. I, I, I chalked it up to like, wow, a lot of hurt and destruction in the world, but I'm just one person living in the middle of the country. What could I possibly do except pray? And so I prayed. But I couldn't, I couldn't shake it. Um, I, I couldn't lose that thought of people trying to cling onto airplanes to get, like that's how, that's how desperate there was for people to get here. And 
And so I kind of said in my heart, you, you know what, I'm looking at my house, I've got a basement in my, uh, my house that's got a very nice, you know, kitchenette and a bathroom with a shower and a, a bedroom down there, and it walks out to a very nice pool, and it's great. And God, you've given us so much, and we're making space to build relationships that make you first. And I think, God, what you're doing is you're telling me I should use that to put an Afghan family in my basement and to just serve them and welcome them home. Hold on. Hold on. And then I thought, I should tell it to my wife. <clears throat> but I didn't, so this is the first time she's hearing it. They're there right now. I'm just, I'm just kidding. No, I, so, so that burden actually pushed in me this desire. I started calling around to some of the ministry partners that we have here in Kansas City. We've got, a, you know, Harlan has a tremendous amount of network here already. People who have actually left this church to go start missions that help uh, refugees. And so as I was calling around trying to figure out, like, where are these people coming in? How can I help them? Like, where are their grocery stores? What can we do? I, I actually um, called one of our ministry partners, a guy named Jarrett Meek. He, he actually runs Mission Adelante in Kansas City, Kansas. And I called Jarrett and I said, Jarrett, I've got this burden on my heart. I think Hartley needs to do something about this. And I think Dan Jacobson personally needs to do something about this. So I'd love to welcome someone into my home. Do you know what agency is welcoming and placing Afghan refugees? And he said, actually, Dan, I, I do know. And it might be discouraging for you to know this, but there are only two Afghan families right now coming to Kansas City, Missouri. And the agencies in Kansas City, Missouri have already placed them. He said, I don't think actually Kansas City is on the map for us to get too many of these people. They're all going to Maryland and Minneapolis and New York. And, and I said, oh, okay. But then Jarrett said something to me that has kind of haunted me since that. And he said this. He said, you know, Dan, just because the refugees who are in the news aren't coming here doesn't mean that there's not refugees coming to Kansas City every single week. And we work with them. He said, Dan, I, I don't want to you know, sound judgmental, but when you pile on to a topic that's in the news, you kind of make it seem like you're only trying to help the worthy. But I've got refugees coming here from countries that we didn't leave and we've never really intervened in and their governments are oppressing them so much that they flee here and it's actually a really difficult process and they don't even think that they're welcome here. You don't know how, how good it is for them when one of us treats them like they belong here and removes the barrier between us and them so that it just becomes home for all. And he said, you know, if you want to learn more about refugee work that isn't just about the news, I'd love to show you around. And so Jared and I are going to get lunch this Wednesday. And, and this is not a plug for Mission Adelante. But if, if your heart, I think Jesus is saying this, if your heart is for those who are dissed, who are distant and dismissed and forgotten, and your heart breaks for the situation in Afghanistan, and you want to get involved in some way, don't neglect the refugees who are right here in your own backyard. The ones who actually may not be of noble refugee status, but rather that of ignoble refugee status. Isn't this more like the way of Jesus to say, whoever you are, wherever you're from, you're a stranger. You're far from home. I want to help you feel the welcome home of God. And isn't that, Heartland, what we've been all about for 30 plus years? Helping people who are far from home find their home with God. 
And so I would love it for you to go to Mission Adelante's website and to figure out how you can either support them or, or give uh, your time and, and your investment of your, of your energy towards them in teaching English as a second language or mentoring programs for, for students. And, and I use all of this as one really big way to help our mind explode in the categories of what it means to serve one another. So there's three, three things I want us to do here. Three, three action steps I want you to take today that, that will help you. If you take these, you will step down the road towards Jesus. Here's the three things I want you to do. The first is just consider. Where are you? What resources do you have? What has God placed around you? And what passions are burning inside of you that if you had a chance to do something about this situation, you would do it? Maybe that's the part of the body that you were designed to play. Maybe that's the thing that we need you to bring to our attention collectively so that we as a body can work together to help bring healing. I want you to consider that. Today I want you to ask questions of your family members and, and of your kids and of your parents over lunch or over you know, the, the commercial breaks of the Chiefs game just to say, hey, hey what, what, what problem would we solve here in Kansas City if we had all the resources in the world? And then ask yourself this, this question, what problems can we solve that we actually have the resources to solve? Look, what do I have in my hands that if I put it to work, that they would actually help people see Jesus? That's the first thing. Consider. I want you to just consider that. Second thing I want you to do is to ask. Just like I did for Jarrett calling Mission Adelante and just saying, hey, who do you know that's placing people? I want you to ask people around here, who do you know that's trying to meet this need already? One of the worst things our church could do is try and invent every ministry from scratch, try to serve just out of our own desire. There's people here in Kansas City that are doing work everywhere. You want to help people with postpartum depression? It exists. You want to help people struggling with mental health? It exists. You want to help teenagers live, <laughs> live a, a, a tech-free life where they're not controlled by their devices? That ministry exists. You got a burden? It exists. Ask, who can I partner with to use my gifts that I could serve them regularly? And then and finally, I want you to do this. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. I want you to ask God, God, would you just show me in my heart who the least of these are around here, my brothers and sisters that the world has forgotten that maybe you've put in front of my path, that I could be able to see them and do something for them, and in doing something for them, I could see you, and they could see you. I want you to ask that. You know, I, I didn't have four things. I had three things, and, and conspicuously absent on what I want you to do today is sign up to serve at Heartland. I don't want you to do that today. I actually took down the form from our website so you cannot sign up for anything here at Heartland today because that's not what this is about. No, we need your help. Actually, most other churches today would have a card in the back seat of your chair and tell you after this, go out into the lobby and meet someone, shake their hands, get a nice mug, and then come back every week and give us your soul. But we're not about that here at Heartland. We're about the mission of Jesus and the personalization of his kingdom to this world. So what I want you to do today is not worry about us, but worry about where God has put you. What could you do with the resources you have to serve those who need dignity and value and worth? And then, and then, and then, then, on Tuesday, um, I'm going to creep on all your Facebook accounts and get your email addresses. Most of you have given them to us already. I'm going to send you an email just to follow up. Because in my heart, I don't want to ever put before you an opportunity to serve or invest or to give without actually giving you space to pray. I love for between now and whenever that email hits your inbox on Tuesday, for you just to be asking God, what would it look like for me to get in the game, for me to actually 
join the body, for me to be able to become an essential worker for you. And on Tuesday, I'm going to send you a couple options, both here inside of our church, but mostly outside of the walls of this church, partnerships that we care about here at Heartland, that it would be amazing if we flooded their networks with volunteers from our church, the difference we could make here, not just in Olathe, not just in Kansas City, but around the world. For homes of refugees back in different places that can know that their friends and family are taken care for and welcomed in as if they had their own family here. For, for situations and, and, and behaviors and patterns and cultures that could be shattered and brought freedom to if we would just join partnerships with those around us and give back as God has given to us. Heartland, that's the dream for us, is that we might give value and worth to those the world has not valued or given worth, because that's the way that we walk down this path towards Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you've given us, and you've given us, you've given us so much, and for that we're thankful. Right now we pause and we remember that you've given us both promptings and nudges in our own heart that you would have us walk out through serving others. You've given us a body that we belong to right here in this, this, this room, these fellow believers that live around us, that follow you too, God. You, you've given us your spirit that is with us at all times. You've given us material resources in homes and cars and businesses and goods. God, help us not to use it all on ourselves. Help us to see you more clearly as we serve others faithfully. This is our prayer. To that end, we ask that you help us with this. If you agree with this prayer, say amen. Harlan, we love you so much. We will see you by God's grace next week. If you